Here's the thing, eventually you're gonna need a little help. No matter how accomplished you are, no matter how much you've got your life dialed in, you will find yourself at some point in your life needing help. It might be with directions. How many of you in this room remember traveling before we all had smartphones with built-in GPSs? Show me your hand if you ever navigated with a map. Okay, keep them up, okay? Now put them down. How many of you have never used a map to navigate? Jared Irvin, the only one. Look at you, you win the prize. Okay? We used to use maps to find our way. We used to need to stop to ask for directions. I'll never forget stopping in Kentucky one time um, to ask for directions. And it was a cross-cultural experience. I walked in, maybe you've had this in Kentucky. I walked into the truck stop, and no joke, I asked for directions. They didn't understand me, and I didn't understand them. And I don't have like a crazy Canadian accent, but it was a, it was a moment asking for directions. I had, literally, I had no idea uh, what they were saying. Um, you may be the kind of person who doesn't like to ask for directions. You're like, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. Do you know somebody like this? Don't, don't, I, I got it. <laughs> I'm not that person. I'll take all the help I can get. I don't pay attention, really. I tend to be focusing on preaching good on Sunday, so... I often get lost. You're going to need some help with directions. You might need some help with your taxes. Um, Zach Wilkes needs no help with his taxes. He's one of these people who's gifted with money. I sometimes wish I was you. So you might be like him and you're like, no, I don't need any help. But you might be like me. I remember the first time I sat down to do my taxes as a young man. It was one of the darkest moments of my life. Looking at all these forms. I, I, I was losing money every year until I finally got smart and hired someone like Zach Wilkes to do my taxes. So you may need a little help with your taxes. Um, you might need a little help like me for getting about chocolate milk. Can you identify? Do you have something in your life that you love to eat so much, but you know you shouldn't, and it shows up in your house somehow, and it speaks to you through the refrigerator? I buy it now for my kids. I like have certain meals that I'm cooking for them, and I know like what goes better with chocolate milk than grilled cheese sandwiches, right? So if it's grilled cheese sandwiches, it's got to be chocolate milk. Of course, I don't drink chocolate milk anymore, but it speaks to me. Like, I don't, well, I still do love it. I was going to say, I don't love it, but it loves me. Like, it talks to me, and I need some help. Like, I need some, like, Nikki helps me. She's like, don't do it. <laughs> She'll see me going to reach, don't do it. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I need some help resisting or forgetting about uh, chocolate milk. I, I love it that much. You might need some help rebuilding your life, right? You might need some help with that. If you don't, then thank God that you're in a season of plenty, but mark my words, you will find yourself at some point in your life where eventually you're going to need some help. Here's the thing about getting help. It's going to involve two things, getting help. It's going to involve trust, and it's going to involve hard work. You'll see what I mean as we work our way through Ezra chapter 8. Trust and hard work. These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia. This is Ezra speaking. He's now taken over the writing of the book, so now it's reading almost like a diary. They went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king, of the sons of Pinchas, Gershom, of the sons of Itamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Chatush, of the sons of Shekaniah, who was of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pachat Moab, Elihonai, the son of Zechariah, and with him 200 men. Of the sons of Zatu, Shekaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men. Of the sons of Adin, Eved, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men. Of the sons of Elam, Yeshaiah, the son of Ataliah, and with him 70 men. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebadiah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 men. 
the sons of Yoav, Obadiah, the son of Yehiel, and with him 218 men. The sons of Bani, Shelomit, the son of Yosifiah, and with him 160 men. Of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 men. Of the sons of Asgad, Yohanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 men. Of the sons of Adonikam, those who would came later, their names being Eliphelet, Yehuel, Shemayah, and with them 60 men. Of the sons of Bigvai, Utai, and Zachur, and with them 70 men. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemayah, El Natan, Yariv, El Natan, Natan, Zachariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Yoharib and El Natan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place Kasifia, telling them what to say to Ido and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Kasifia, namely to send us ministers for the house of God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the sons of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherabiah with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also, Hasaviah and with him Jeshayah, the sons of Merari, and with their kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Then I set apart twelve of the leading men, Sherebiah, Hasaviah, and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the head of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Meremot, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Elazar, the son of Pinchas, and with them were the Levites, Josavad, the son of Yeshua, and Nodaya, the son of Binui. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people of the house of God. How many of you, uh, if you read that chapter before today, thought, what on earth is he going to preach from? Anybody? A few of you. Good old Matty Brace always tells me, bro, I, pff, I had no idea. Well, in the 14 minutes, I'll probably go 20. In the uh, time remaining, I got some stuff actually to preach to you out of Ezra chapter 8. Before you can accept help, you need to learn to trust the person offering it. Right? Before you can accept help, you need to learn to trust them. 
When it comes to receiving help from God, which is kind of the through theme here in Ezra chapter 8, by the good hand of our God which was upon us. Right? We see God here helping his people in their final stage of their return to Jerusalem. So if you're thinking about getting help from God, the question may occur to you, and I would say rightly so, why would I trust God? We see some reasons right off the top here in Ezra chapter 8 to trust God. Verse 1, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of King Artaxerxes the king. Why do we trust God? We trust God because he is keeping very detailed records. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. That is out of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Here's the point. God is keeping track. He doesn't miss anything, so you can trust him. Okay, it should not set fear in your heart that he's keeping track, because Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. Okay, when you hear that God is keeping track of everything, this should set your heart at ease. He is a God of justice. He is keeping score. He doesn't miss anything, so trust him. Also, still in verse 1, notice that it says, of those who went up. This is the genealogy of those who went up. What does that last bit of the sentence mean? Don't forget it. It's so important. Of those who went up to Jerusalem. Right? Going up is always going up to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is in the mountains. I grew up in Jerusalem. I have walked up to Jerusalem along the roads that lead uphill from the Dead Sea. We are going up. These people went home. They returned home. Don't miss that all their dreams came true because God kept his promises. How do I know that he kept his promises? Two words of prophecy that are important here to keep in mind. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 through 14, God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, prophesies the exile to Babylon. Okay, before it happens, through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, my people, because of their disobedience, will be exiled to Babylon. Then, in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 36 through 38, God, through that same prophet, prophesies the return of his people. Let me read it for you out of, Revelation, out of Jeremiah 32, 36 through 38. This should blow your mind. This is before it even happens. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, Jerusalem, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I shall be their God. Does that sound reminiscent of anything else? Sounds reminiscent of the later chapters of the book of Revelation, does it not? When God promises a final return for you and says of you that you shall be his people and he will be your God. What is the point of reading this passage to you from the book of Jeremiah? Here's the point. God comes through. 
Because he comes through, he is worthy of your trust. You can trust him to do the God stuff. You just need to focus on doing your stuff. I want to remind you this morning that the whole story of God and his people is a story of partnership. God does something and expects us to respond in obedience. God does something and expects us to respond in obedience. We often end up caught in a twisted view of faith. We think that either it's all up to God, he's going to do it all, and we can just roll. Or we think it's somehow all up to us, and we've got to work harder. Both views are wrong. Both views are erroneous. God does the God stuff. We do our stuff. Let him do the God size. You do the woman size. Okay, let him do the God size. You do the man size. How do I know this whole thing is about partnership? I could read you every personage in the Bible and show you how this partnership underlies it. But let's just start at the beginning. Adam and Eve. God sets them in the garden and expects what? Obedience in regards to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Cain and Abel. God does what? Begins to prosper the work of their hands and expects what in return? Wholeheartedness in the offering they bring before him. Enoch. God makes him his friend. What does God expect in return from Enoch? Also, friendship. Noah. God decides to spare him and his family from the flood that is about to wipe out the earth. What does he expect in return? Obedient, ridiculous faith. Abraham, he calls him to be his man. He says, I will be your God. What does he expect in return? Absolutely, radically obedient, self-imposed exile. Hear me, church. God works, re-responds. Okay, this underlies all faith. God works, re-respond. And in Ezra chapter 8, verse 1, I'm hoping you can see by now that you can trust him. And because you can trust him, do the work. In our context, in the book of Ezra, because you can trust him, do the work of rebuilding. Okay, do the work of rebuilding. Okay, so what does that look like? What does it look like to do the work of rebuilding? So now in the second part of this sermon, I'm going to show you nine ways to think about life-changing work. So if you're taking notes, that's the header. Nine ways to think about doing life-changing work. I think I love this point the best of all of them. Point number one. Here's one way to think about doing life-changing work. Maybe think about changing your name. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Isaiah 62.2 He or she who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give them a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Revelation 2.17 Did you forget that obscure passage out of Revelation 2? How weird is it that God cares enough to give you a white stone with a name written on it that no one knows but you? And yes, it may be figurative language. Maybe you don't actually get a white stone when you show up in glory. But for sure, he's going to give you that new name. And I believe as you begin walking with Jesus now, you're already walking in the eternity that awaits you. So in some sense, I believe that that new name has already sunk like a stone into the well that is your heart. What is your new name? Why do names matter? Because names bespeak destiny. Okay, name speaks of destiny. Change your name, change your destiny. We have some options from the text. This is where I found something to preach out of Ezra 8. This passage right here. When I read all these names, then I went, wait a minute. I read them again, and then I realized, oh, there's the key, Shekaniah. You know what this name means? God lives here. In modern vernacular, the neighborhood of God. How about you adopt that one as your name? 
I am God's neighborhood. Would it change your life if you began thinking of yourself that way? You bet. Zachariah. You know what this means? God will remember me. Somebody shout. Zachar, Yah, Lizkor, to remember God. God will remember me. Maybe that word is for you this morning. He has not forgotten you. Zerachaya, Zera, seed, Chaya, living, the living seed. Oh, death shall not reign in your life because your new name is the living seed. Oh, I just got the Holy Ghost right there. Yechaziel, you like that one? Yachaz, la'achoz, to hold, El, God is Holding me! How much would it change your life if you thought that was your name? Yonatan, God-given. Yeshaya, God is my Savior. Shephatiyah, Shaphat, judge. God is my judge. How would your life change if you never again let anyone judge you because you knew that God had already taken that job? Yoav, God is my father. If you had a crappy father, you can walk out of that past into freedom because the truth is, God's already taken that name also. He is your father. Ovadiah, Evid, slave. I am the slave of God. All of your pretentious self-centeredness would pass away if you adopted that one as your name. I am God's servant. Yehiel, you know what that means? My God isn't dead. He is alive. Yosifiah. God will add to my portion. Yohanan, God is merciful. Maybe you need some mercy today. This one's the best. A little comedic relief in the midst of the intensity. Hakatan, don't take that name. It means little one. And let's be honest, nobody wants to be called the tiny one. Adonikam, that one's good. Adonikam, my God will arise. That's the future Christian in the bunch saying, my name is my God's going to get back up. Shemaya, God has heard me. Friends, your entreaties have not fallen on deaf ears. He has heard you this morning. These are pretty awesome names. These names bespeak pretty awesome promises. These promises speak of a pretty awesome destiny. I could stop preaching right now. Could I stop preaching right now? Yes, I could. All his promises are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 1.20. So you have a new name now. How about you start living like it? Another way to think about doing work, too, go and find you some priests. You need a minister. There's a chance that that minister is not me. There's a chance that that minister is you. Verse 15b, as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found that none, there were none of the sons of Levi, no Levites, no assistant ministers, no singers, no gatekeepers, no temple workers. Friend, is God calling you to minister in his house, but you refuse to show up? If that's you... We need you. And maybe you're not doing it because you're intimidated. You think you're not yet good enough. You're not perfect enough. Don't let intimidation stop you because I'm here to tell you this morning as a Bible preaching pastor who loves you that this does not depend on you. How do I know? Because I know Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. My friend, you are not the high priest, but you are his ambassadors as if God himself is speaking through you to a lost and dying world. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Here's the point. Do your job. 
No one else can do it but you. Do it because, three, he knows your name. Isn't it beautiful that Ezra says that these were all mentioned by name in verse 20, part B? In case you missed it, God is pretty big on names. Let's go back to where we started. Adam, where are you? Genesis 3, 9. Hey, Cain, where's Abel? Genesis 4, 9. Enoch, let's go for a walk. It's time to go home. Genesis 5, 24. Take your sons, your wife, your son's wives, and this exact list of animals. You could bet he knew them all by name. And get in that ark. Genesis 6, Genesis 7, 6 through 10. No longer shall your name be Avram, but your name shall be Avraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He knows who you are. Do what he has made you to do and do it point four humbly and seeking the straight path let me read to you verse 21 where we get this idea from then i proclaimed a fast there at the river ahava the river of love that we might humble ourselves before our god to seek from him a safe journey you know what this means to seek from him a straight path okay as you seek to do the work in your life you better be humble enough to seek the straight path. The New Testament echoes this. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And I never reference Matthew 7, 13 through 14 without referencing 2 Peter 3 through 9. Where we read that it is God's will that none should perish. Which is why I always expect that the few will end up being more than I could ever dream but enter by that narrow gate and engage with that difficult way how do you do this as you seek to do the work of rebuilding your life point number five you do this by putting yourself in a situation where nothing but faith will do this is either my second or first favorite point in the whole sermon verse 22 for i was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king the hand of our god is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him so we fasted and implored our god for this and he listened to our entreaty did you notice here what ezra has done he he has backed himself into a corner where only faith will do because he kept opening his big fat mouth. Right? He said to the king, we're good. King probably said, do you want an escort? You know, you're taking a lot of loot home. You might get waylaid on the way. He's like, nah, king, we're good. Our God is with us. He's going to keep us safe. He backs him. And so he's ashamed to go ask the king for help. This is my best moment. This is a moment where loudmouths like me get encouraged to keep being loudmouths like me. When was the last time you prophesied over the dry bones in your life? When was the last time you talked yourself into a corner where only faith could save you? Or are you living a safe, excessively calculated, within the lines, Western North American Christian existence? Yes, I'm going to preach like a Bible preacher. When was the last time you prophesied over the dry bones in your life? Ezekiel 37. I read it off the top. God takes the prophet Ezekiel in the spirit to a great valley where he sees a multitude of dry bones, skeletons, the remains of his people. And he asks him a question, son of man, can these bones live? And I love what Ezekiel says. Lord, you know. He's like, I don't know. 
Can they? And God says, prophesy over them. Now look, hear this point. This is probably the most important point if your life is excessively buttoned down. Ezekiel was probably thinking, why does he need me to speak life over dead things if he is the one who raises the dead? And maybe you are thinking, why does he need me to walk by faith if he is the God who raises the dead? Friends, you need to walk by faith because it is his pleasure to use you. It makes him happy to teach you to trust him. And look what happens in Ezekiel 37, 7 through 14. This should blow your mind. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Maybe you need to prophesy to the breath of God itself. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army then he said to me here's the interpretation son of man these bones are the whole house of Israel behold they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost we are indeed cut off therefore prophesy and say to them thus says the Lord God behold I will open your graves and raise you from your graves O my people and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Then I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. My dear friends, those words are not just for the lost people of Israel. They are for you. Life awaits you in Zion. A life that you can be fully experiencing, even though we see us through a glass dimly, you can be experiencing that light in greater and greater measure even now. So, dear friend, prophesy to the dry bones in your life because, point number six, he's listening. So count the cost. Set yourselves apart as holy and guard what really matters and head home. Verse 29, he says to them, guard these things, these holy things for the house of God. What's holy to us? What really matters to us? What are the things that we're really going to fixate on? I tell you again and again, we're going to fixate on the love of God. We're going to fixate on the love of neighbor as we love ourselves because of Jesus by the Spirit. These are the things that we will guard as if our life depends on it because it does. What do you do when you're guarding something? You always check. Do I got it? Do I still got the love of God? You got it? You still got the love of neighbor? You, got, you still love yourself because Jesus loves you? That's what you guard. That's what you treasure. That is what you fixate on. And woo, you go home full of faith. Point number seven. I'm almost done. Because, why full of faith? Because God's good hand is on us and we will get home just like they did in verse 31 and 32. But let me tell you what. Um, when we get home, we are going to stay for way more then uh, three days. And uh, worship team, you can come join me. I'll tell you how, notice that they stayed in Jerusalem for three days. Try not to shout. We're going to stay for way more than three days. How do I know? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street and the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of that tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp 
lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And here's how I know we're going to be there for more than three days. And they receive it, will reign forever and ever. Once we get home, we ain't going nowhere. We ain't, come on, going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. What? We can't be stopped now. Yes, that is true about us. We ain't going nowhere. Why? Because point number eight, we are the captives made free. We are the exiles come home. After all the price Jesus paid, after all the price I paid to follow him all the days of my life, I'm sitting down by that river eating that fruit, and I ain't going nowhere. Except point number nine, um... I'm just like those people, but I don't burn no animals as a scent offerings anymore because the lamb that was slain is the lion who rose, is the intercessor who ascended, is the king who is returning to set all things right and to welcome you home. So they can keep their helpers and their satraps and their governors in verse 36. As for me and you, that help that we need with our chocolate milk fixation and our broken lives, it's already here and its name is Jesus. 